We are going to find ourselves in Lamentations 4 tonight. So as you're looking for that and finding that, let me pray for us. Lord God, we need you. Forgive us for our hearts that doubt you and willfully turn away from your goodness many times daily. Open up our Open up our ears to hear from your word tonight, Lord. Use it to cause us to grieve our sins, to look to you in faith, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The Book of Lamentations is a series of five acrostic poems of lament over the destruction of Jerusalem, a destruction that occurred because of the sins of the people, their rejection of God's word delivered through the prophets, and their misguided leaders who led them astray. It's a devastation that happened because God himself brought judgment upon Israel and called his chosen people into account for their sins. Indeed, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We're going to begin by reading Lamentations 4, verses 1 and 2. And as we focus in on verse 2, We'll spend some time getting the feel of the verse, and then we'll make three observations. So Lamentations 4, verses 1 and 2. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hand. If you were in Sunday school when Pastor Jeremiah was discussing the Psalms, you may recall that one of the points that he made was that they are written in poetic language for a purpose. The poetry of Psalms and of Lamentations does more than just give us information. If God wanted to just convey information to us, Lamentations could be a really short book. Things were bad in Israel. God brought judgment upon Jerusalem. End of story. Let's move on to some prophecies about the coming Messiah. That's not Lamentations, though. It is poetry. And one of the byproducts of poetry is that it makes us feel the emotion of the text. It's designed to penetrate our hearts, to make us slow down. So let's read our verse again and seek to gain a sense, sense of the pathos behind these words. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold, how they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. We should get the sense that the unnamed author, likely Jeremiah, is weeping for these precious sons of Zion. They're no longer what they once were. Instead of being precious, they were ordinary, easily replaced, no longer vessels of great worth. Christian, when we look at the state of the world, do you feel like the prophet? These precious humans, created by God, called very good, are not what they once were. The image that mankind was to reflect has been tarnished, and we're right to lament over this. We look at the leaders in the global church who have fallen and behaved in ways that have hurt the sheep under their care. We should lament. We should feel sadness for their fall as well as for the people that they've hurt. When you examine our own hearts and see the sin that still lives in what should be the glittering gold of the temple of God, 
it should bring us to tears. Queen Catherine Parr, the final wife of Henry VIII, came to that point and wrote words that could well be our own. Why should I now lament, mourn, sigh, and weep for my life and time spent so evil? With how much humility and lowliness should I come and confess my sins to God, giving him thanks that it has pleased him out of his abundant goodness to give me time for repentance? In considering my sins, I know them to be so grievous and in number so exceeding that I have very often deserved eternal damnation. But his mercy exceeds all iniquity. And if I should not thus hope, where should I seek refuge and comfort? So having considered how our verse should bring us to feel about the state of things, let's look at some observations we can make from the passage. First, is that it's a reversal of what should be. We've already looked at this some, but I want to point out that this theme of reversal is the predominant point of the first verses here in Lamentations 4. So a quick survey of this. Verse 1, gold has become tarnished, which is an ironic statement since from what I've come to understand, gold is non-reactive and its properties do not allow for the corrosion that we see in other metals. Yet, here we see the untarnished, now tarnished, the untouchable, now touchable. Verse 2, the people were like gold, but they're now ordinary. Verses 3 and 4, even jackals, which in the Bible are often represented uh, duplicity and selfishness of men, they're more righteous than Israel. Ostriches, known to be indifferent to their children, care more for their sons and daughters than the Israelites. Verse 5, the foodies used to feasting are now looking for food in the dumpsters. The wealthy are in poverty. Verse 6, the punishment of Israel was greater than that of Sodom. Their sin was worse. Their punishment was worse. They received what verse 11 says is the full vent of God's wrath and the pouring out of his anger. So all of these reversals bring us to our next observation about our verse. It serves as a reminder. This microcosm of judgment on Israel will be carried out on a global scale on the day when the sun is darkened and the moon won't give light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. The day when the Son of Man comes in the clouds with great power and glory. That's Matthew 24. God is a God of justice holiness, and wrath against sin. In the judgment of Israel, um, he has come and trod the winepress of his wrath. That's Lamentations 1.15. God is, a, this judgment, this judgment was promised in the law and warned of by the prophets. It came because of the sins of the people, and as we see in Lamentations 4.13, it was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of Jerusalem the blood of, of righteousness. James Hamilton, in commenting on this judgment, writes, Yahweh has displayed his holiness in that he is utterly devoted to his own character, which sets him apart from everything else in existence. He chooses to keep his word and demonstrate his righteousness rather than giving Israel a pass. By upholding justice, Yahweh shows his love and his commitment to his own love. 
and justice takes precedence over his affection for Israel. This winepress of God's wrath appears for us again in Revelation 14, as God judges the earth for its sin. God will be true to his righteous character. He will keep his word and demonstrate his justice rather than giving the world a pass. And this passage in Lamentations should remind us of that. The day is coming when God's patience has run out and judgment will come. This brings us to our third observation. There's still hope for rescue. As Pastor Jeremiah preached from 2 Corinthians 4 last week, there is yet treasure in these ordinary jars of clay. If you haven't listened to that message yet, I encourage you to go out, find it on our website, Sermon Audio, your favorite podcast app. You're going to be blessed by listening to that. Church, we find ourselves in the position of the, rem, rem, of the remnant of believers, of believing Jews that was lamenting in our passage. Things are not what they should be and not what they will be, but we look forward to the time when Christ restores all things. The Apostle Peter calls believers sojourners and exiles in 1 Peter 2. And the Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 3, our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Believer, look forward with the hope that this world is not our home. When we are away from our bodies, we will be at home with the Lord, 2 Corinthians 5, 8. Our lives are hid with Christ in God, Colossians 3, 3. We have been transferred out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved Son, Colossians 1, 13. We have passed out of death and into life, 1 John 3, 14. We are exiles and strangers here. Rescue is coming and has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Unbeliever, in reminding us of future judgment, the writer of Lamentations brings us to remember Sodom in verse 6. In recalling Sodom, consider Abraham's dialogue with God as he pleaded with God to abstain from sweeping away the righteous with the wicked, saying, will not the judge of the earth do what is right? With that in mind, listen to Genesis 19.29. So it was that when God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot had lived. Lot was a sinner, but, is he, but he was associated with Abraham and trusted the promise of salvation through his seed, Jesus Christ. For the sake of Abraham and the promises that God made to him, Lot was saved. God knows how to discriminate the righteous from the unrighteous. If he rescued, the righteous, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, 2 Peter 2, 7 and 9. Unbeliever, cling to Christ with the faith of Abraham. Trust that he has the surpassing power to rescue, redeem, and restore. Put your faith in him. He will exchange your sin for his grace and reverse the tarnished gold in the temple of your heart and cause it to glitter and be counted as precious once again.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we lament for the sin that still clings to our soul and threatens to entangle us. Bring us to continual repentance. Cause the gold of your dwelling place with us to shine forth and draw others to your grace. We ask this for your glory and for Christ's sake. Amen.